Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. Tell you, man, are you guys alive? Yeah? You guys alive? Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I was wondering who was that, but I was like... Faithful Ming. How many of you are thankful for whatever Pastor Daniel has shared? Yeah? I tell you, man, I, I am so thankful that when I was a young person, when I was like, I don't know, 15, 16 years old, someone actually told me uh, and taught me the principle of giving. And that has saved me so much heartache. That has saved me from so much pain. And that's taught me so much about God and about the kingdom. And, uh, and I'm super thankful that I learned that lesson as a young man. You know, and that today, I'm, I'm reaping from financial decisions I made when I was 16. Now, I, I kid you not, like today I, I'm still discovering the, the impact that has made on my life from decisions I've made to give, you know, as a, as a young boy. And so I want to highly encourage you to, to take whatever's been said, you know, in the last five minutes extremely seriously. And uh, I'm, sh- I'm certain, you know, you will be extremely thankful. Amen? Very cool. Like PD said, I just got back from the US. Uh, it was a fast trip. I was there for six days. Uh, I was there for a wedding, an uh, American wedding where they expect you to dance. And so, really, really moved out my comfort zone there, you know, because I just, you know, I, my motor functions are not very like, well developed. You know? I, I, like, I can't coordinate that, that well. That's why some of you might judge me. I do not have a manual license, I have an auto license. Because, uh, okay. <laughs> Car still drive, but yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, so the, the, you know, I just have a trouble coordinating. And so dancing was extremely challenging. But uh, enjoy my time in the US. Um, I'm of the opinion if uh, you want to know if you're truly Christian, you should go to an airport and travel often. Um, I just don't know, like airports just get to me, you know, when. Uh, the boarding gate person says, you know, um, if you are currently handicapped or if you have children, come to the boarding area and start boarding the plane. And all of a sudden, every single person in the boarding area is either our parents or are physically handicapped. And so everyone just rushes there and you're like, send me this. Like, what is going on? And um, I don't know. And then you pray prayers of faith when you get on the plane, right? You sit on the plane and then you're like, Lord, if it's your will, Please make the next the people that are next to me uh, miss their flight, so I have uh, the seats next to them. If it's your will, uh, Lord, you know, thy kingdom come, you know, thy power, you know, your will be done. Please let the two fellas uh, miss their flight. And so that was what happened. I actually had the two seats next to me. I had the entire row to myself, which was awesome. But then come to find out, the new planes, you the seat rest doesn't really come up. It, and so you're like trying to shove your leg in there, but it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's my time in the US. Fun, fun stuff. How many of you are ready for the Word of God this morning? Yeah? Okay, can we pray before we begin? Awesome. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together. And Lord, we recognize that you are in our midst, even right now. Lord, we believe in your word that when it says two or, when two or three are gathered in your name, that you are there among them. Lord, we say this morning that we are gathered 
in the name of Jesus and we believe that you are in our midst even right now. Lord, I ask that in the preaching of the word that lives will be transformed, hearts will be touched and impacted by the word of God. Lord, I pray that, that, uh, that people will encounter you this time. It is not by the eloquence of my speech, not by the depth of the research I've done that brings about transformation, but it's by your Holy Spirit. So Spirit of God, we ask that you'll come upon this place even right now. Holy Spirit, we avail ourselves to you. Let all things be done for the glory of your name. God, we thank you that when the Son of God is high and lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. So Lord, I ask that even in this time of sharing, even in this time of exploring your word, that Son of God, Jesus, you will be high and lifted up in our midst that you'll draw all men to yourself. We love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I've uh, taken a four or five week break from preaching, so <clears throat> a bit rusty, but <clears throat> follow me and I will take you to a very, very good place. Where that place is, I don't currently know, but we'll find out when we get there. One of the most fascinating passages of scripture um, that I've read, you know, and it still fascinates me and troubles me to today, is, is this passage in uh, John chapter 10. And, and I don't have it up on the screen, no, but it's the story where the Jews are, uh, were coming against Jesus and uh, they accused him of blasphemy. They're like, you're a blasphemer. You profess to be the son of God. And they were all up in arms. They had stones ready. And they, they were walking towards him, ready to stone Jesus. And then Jesus uh, stops them in that moment. And he makes this extremely profound statement. He says this. He says that you accuse me of being a blasphemer because I say I am the son of God. But get this. Jesus says this. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. Some translation it says, if I do not do the work of God, don't believe me. And it's, it's an extremely fascinating passage of Scripture. Because get this, you know, we, we are familiar with you know, the story of Jesus' birth, we are all familiar with the, the incredible amount of messianic prophecies leading up to the supernatural birth of Christ. You know, the, the, the Gabriel appeared to Mary, there was an angelic appearance, the stars aligned, the virgin birth, Simeon's confession, the Old Testament, which contains over 300 prophecies that Jesus would fulfill through his life, death, and resurrection. And some mathematicians say that you know, the, the odds of one man accomplishing all those prophecies which Jesus did is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That is 1 and 157 other zeros. 1 in that figure. And so that's the, the sheer amount of supernatural activity, the angelic appearance, the virgin birth, and then Jesus says this, you know, he says, if I do not do the works of my Father, if I do not do the work of God, you have right to disregard everything here. Amazing, right? 
it seems like Jesus was holding his credibility as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Christ, upon this one thing. If I do the work of God, that makes me the Christ. If I do not do this one thing, you can disregard everything here. Stunning, right? Just for Andre? It's just stunning for Andre? Okay. I can give the altar call already because you guys are already there. <laughs> How many of you think that's fascinating, right? How many of you want to know what that one thing is? Yeah? <laughs> if I do not do the work of the Father, you can choose not to believe me. What then is that work of the Father? What then is that book of God? Jesus would describe it in uh, the Gospel of John. Can we have the verse? It says this, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And that word believe is, is this Greek word. I'll just put it up there. And I've learned over the years that if you don't know how to pronounce a Greek word, do not attempt because you might uh, accidentally swear in church, which is not a very good thing. So on the count of three, we are all going to pronounce this word in our own <sighs> style. Okay, one, two, three. Wow, not bad. It's about 90% the same. Pisteo, yeah? And that is where we get the word belief, but that's also where we get the word faith from, Right? Faith, and faith means to place confidence in, it means trust, this dependency. And Jesus is saying this, he says this, if I don't have faith, you have every right to disregard all these other things. If I don't exhibit a life of faith, if I don't move in faith, you have right to not believe. And my question to you as the church as Christ's followers, as Christians, as ones who profess to live this life we call the Christian faith, is that are we able to come to a place where we can make such a degree, uh, decree that you have every right to not believe the things I say if I don't have faith? You have every right to disregard all this fancy theology, all these things that I bring to you if I don't have faith. I wonder if we as a church, we as a Christian community can come to a place like that. How many of you are following me? Come on. I, I'm very certain I'm preaching better than you're responding. So, <laughs> Thank you. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that word pisteo appears 30 times, but in John, it appears a staggering 63 times. That, that, that word belief and faith, it's, it's interchangeable. And so John is really on a mission to make you believe and make you have faith and make you recognize the importance of this thing called faith and how essential it is supposed to be in your life. And John seems to suggest that in order to be a Christ follower, in order to be one, a person who profess to be a Christian, that the intrinsic quality of a believer is one who lives by faith, one who 
acts in faith, one who has faith. You're making sense to you. That's what characterizes, that's what distinguishes us as a community, as a people who follows Jesus. We have faith. Am I making sense? Faith, again, is it's confidence and it's trust, it's dependency. We have faith. And faith is so high up on God's priority list that in the Gospel of Luke, it says this, it says that when the Son of Man returns, He looks for faith on the earth. It's so high up on God's priority list. You know, it says in Hebrews, it says, apart from faith or without faith, it is impossible to please God. How many of you are familiar with the story of Mary, you know, taking that perfume which cost a year's in wages and just shattering it and, and anointing the feet of Jesus? How many of you remember that story? Yes? And how many of you remember that Jesus said this? Jesus said that wherever the gospel is preached, that story will be recounted. Yes? And how that act of worship so impacted the heart of the Lord and brought Him such great pleasure that He will make a decree like that. Now, how David so impacted the heart of the Father that, where, that for all eternity, Jesus will be regarded, known, worshipped as the son of David. You know, you, you can't make God love you more than He already does. You know, if you're a parent, you're in a relationship, you know that. Your love is, 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 is in that regard, right? But there are things that the person, your child can do cause an impact on your heart, bring you pleasure, right? And that's what faith does. Moving in faith, living in faith, acting in faith brings pleasure to the heart of God. It's the intrinsic quality of the believer. It's what gives us credibility as a community. Am I making sense? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture. Uh, let's look at Mark chapter 9. I overcompensated because uh, there's been some talk of Andre's slides you know, being a bit too small. The word text too small. So I was like, boom! Siphon 42. So let's read this together, shall we? And when he came to the disciples, this talking about Jesus, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him and he asked the scribes, why are you discussing them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out but they could not. Uh, that seems like a great day in church. Let's move on. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus was angsty. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed, he, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? Next slide. And he said, from childhood and often he has thrown him both into the fire 
and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said he is dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. That's very cool. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. I want to focus on that last line. It says, Jesus said this to the disciples who attempted to cast out this demon, but it didn't really work out. And so Jesus went, took care of it, and then they, they asked him, like, why couldn't we do that stuff? Why couldn't we move in that, that kind of power? And then Jesus said, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. If you were following the reading of the scripture, you would recognize that even though Jesus said that this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting, Jesus didn't buckle down in that moment, sat on the floor and begin a fast. Nor was he praying. How many of you follow me? Yes? Jesus didn't go into like, okay, I see demon. Boom! Prayer and fast mode. Tanse, right? Let me, let me buckle down a 24-hour water fast and then I will store up enough energy you know, and power and then I'll take care of you. Jesus didn't do that, right? He commanded the thing and the thing left. My suggestion to you is we often approach faith or we often exercise and move in faith in the midst of crises. Faith is only an attribute or something that we, we move in or attempt to exercise in the midst of circumstance, in the midst of crisis. Right? But Jesus' suggestion to the disciples, I believe, is you ought to have had that lifestyle in place. A lifestyle of prayer and fasting. We all know that Jesus prayed, He fasted, and it's almost as though in that moment when He was faced with that crisis, He made a redrawal from the bank account he's been accumulating it, right? And we all know people who come into situations and circumstances and, and they, in the midst of it, they're like, my faith isn't strong and I don't have faith for God to deliver me in this situation. I don't have faith for God to break through in this situation. Can I propose to you that maybe faith isn't something that we only exercise in the midst of crisis. Maybe faith ought to be a lifestyle. Maybe faith ought to be something that you hold on to, something that you continually exercise, something that you live by. You know, we have these fancy terms, uh, fancy term for missionaries who are not, uh, they, they, they have devoted their lives to missions and to, to full-time ministry work. They don't uh, have a job. Uh, they, they just devote their time to, to serving the Lord 
And we have a fancy term for that. We call that living by faith, right? Missionaries, they live by faith because they don't have a job, 100% devoted to ministry. Follow me, yes? And so the, the implication is, if you have a job, if you make money, if you are not in a 100% vocational ministry, then all of y'all don't live by faith. Neither do I. Jesus held a job all the way until he was 30. And then after that, he went and did ministry for three years. If that is our basis and our understanding of what living by faith is, then Jesus only lived by faith for three years. 30, he was completely a practical atheist. <laughs> Follow me? The call to live by faith. Going back to my point about exercising faith in relation to crisis, there are two problems with it. First problem, a significant portion of believers are currently not facing a crisis, right? Most of you are not, uh, you know, you don't, you're not going to leave this place and someone's going to come to you and like point a gun to your head and like deny Christ. You know, most of us are not going to face that, right? You know, and so there's a significant portion of the Christian community of believers who are not currently in the midst of a crisis, right? And crisis is all relative in nature anyway. And so you're, you're not in crisis. And so if faith is only to be exercised in the midst of crisis, then there's a huge percentage, a huge chunk of believers who are excluded from needing to live by faith. So it's, it's completely wrong. Jesus doesn't allow for some of us to grow and exercise faith and some not to do. He says this, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Whoever believes in Christ, whoever calls upon his name, will move in faith, will live by faith. And the second problem with tagging faith and crisis and, the, and faith only being applicable in the midst of crisis is that this, you can only grow when there's a crisis. You can only mature as a believer when something happens. And if so, if that is how you perceive it and how you see it, right, and you are a believer who longs to mature in the Lord, then you need to celebrate every bad thing, every crisis that happens in your life. Because it's the only way that you can grow. It's the only way that you can mature. Fruitful thought. How many of you are familiar with the story where Peter, you know, and the disciples in the boat, the boat was all getting wet, nonstop by the storms, and then Peter, you know, um, makes this bold declaration like, Lord, is, if that is you, uh, let, permit me to come out to the water. And then Peter takes that radical step of faith, right? And then he, he takes a step out of the boat, Okay, and he begins to walk on water, yeah? But then after that, what happens? After that, you know, Peter began to doubt, right? And then he sang. And then, the, then Jesus was like, dude, and put Peter up. I don't think Jesus said dude. <laughs> Maybe he did, I don't know. What's the Aramaic uh, translation for the word dude? So, 
So Peter takes that big step of faith, right? And then midway, he began to doubt. He started to consider, maybe, you know, as a human being, I shouldn't walk on water. And so he began to doubt, right? And he began to lose his faith. How many of you know that for the believer, for life in general, you don't just need the faith to make the bold step, but you need the faithfulness to stick it out. You don't just need faith to step out. You need faithfulness. You need to continually walk in faith in order to continue living above what's normal, your circumstance. See, faith is not a momentary thing. Faith is not a reaction to problem. It, it, it is to some degree, but that's not the full picture. Faith is a lifestyle. Faith is something that you and I ought to continually walk in. That making sense? You don't just need the faith to step out. You need the faithfulness to stick it up. We need to develop a lifestyle of faith. Cultivate faith, if you will. So that in the midst of crisis, in the midst of circumstance, in the midst of obstacles, we have already built such a, a fat faith bank account, if you will. And coming into situations like that, we are able to make withdrawal. Don't get me wrong. I know the Bible says that faith is a gift. And I believe that 100%. The only way you can have faith is when God reveals himself to you, you know, through an encounter, through coming through in, in different situations. When he reveals himself to you as a provider there, you have faith for God's provision. I believe in that. But I also believe in faith as a discipline. It's both a gift and a discipline. Picture an Olympic athlete, if you will. He's born, you know, he, he came out taller than the rest, a bit more chunkier. And he's gifted with the physique you know, to do the sport that he is meant to do. But if he doesn't do anything with that gift, it doesn't discipline himself into a certain lifestyle of developing his physique, of developing the gifts that God has already given to him, he's not going to be successful. Faith is a gift and it's a discipline. You're meant to exercise it in the moment but you're meant to walk in it continually as well. Am I making sense? Yeah. I think this is a good word. Um, you know, I read the story of uh, you know, the demoness, demoness, <laughs> whoo, demonized boy in, in Mark 9, but let's uh, read another account, Matthew's account. And this is what uh, Jesus said to his disciples. Said, then Jesus went out from there Departed to the region of... Ooh, no, that's not the right one. Do we have Matthew 17, verse 20? There we go. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible to you. If you actually do a word-for-word -word study in the original text, you will know that that word, littleness of your faith, actually translates to this phrase I'm going to present to you loosely. Jesus rebuked his disciples 
was this. Your faith is fading. Or your faith, let me, let me pull it up. <clears throat> your faith is brief. That's the word. He used, the word, used that word to describe their faith. Your faith is brief. Your faith is but for a moment. Your faith is not constant. And because your faith is so brief, you're not able to cast out the demon. But if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is incredibly small, you'll be able, you will be able to move mountains. Can I put it to you this morning? It is not about the size of your faith. It's about the consistency. It's about it being constant. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, tiny little thing, you're able to move mountains. The reason why you're not able to move in power is because your faith is brief. Your faith is but for a moment. Your faith is temporal. Could it be that what gives us credibility as a community, what is supposed to be intrinsic in the life of a believer is that we have constant faith. We live by faith. That faith is present in every area of our lives. Not just in response to crisis, but there's faith in my career. There's faith in family. There's faith in the things that the Lord has uh, has called me to put my hands to. That if faith were a fingerprint, almost, you know, it would be all over everything that we do. You're not able to do it because your faith is brief. What does it look like to have constant faith, consistent faith in the Lord? That making sense? I know this is a different angle. We've heard people talk about faith more as like, a, exercise your faith. But I'm telling you, that that's just one aspect. You're called to have faith. You're making sense? It says this in the Bible. It says, through faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. Everyone knows that, right? Through faith and patience. Again, do a word study. The word patience actually translates to the words staying power. Through faith and staying power, we inherit the promises of God. Through faith, which is that initial step, through staying power, which is continually walk in that, we inherit the promises of God. It's not a momentary thing, but it's a constant principle. It's a constant attribute. It's a constant aspect of God. Your faith continually exercises. Through faith and staying power, we inherit the promises of God. Will you hold your faith in question when circumstances and obstacles come your way? That's a big question, right? You never know. You never know um, whether your faith would, would stand in the midst of that opposition, right? It's all, it's all up in the air. Depends. How big is the opposition? Depends. How jealous is it? Then I will know whether my faith can, can stand. But what if, you know, we choose not to leave it to chance, right? What if we constantly discipline ourselves, if you will, to live by faith, to walk in faith, to exercise our faith, that in the day of circumstance, in the day of trial, we will stand firm, holding unwaveringly 
to the promises of God. Choosing to hope in the midst of circumstance because we have built such a history with God that we can look back and go, no, God has delivered. Bam, 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 bam. And I can have faith for this moment. You know, we, you, know you read books about people who are wealthy. You would, you know, most of the time it's the same story. You know, they make a very, very good investment, right? Buy shares for 50 cents, sell it for $100, and then bam, they're rich, right? It's that one-off big, big investment, and then boom, they're rich. But the way they stay wealthy, the way they grow their wealth, is by this word called diversifying. They put their money into several baskets, if you will, putting their eggs in different baskets, and that's how they grow. Could it be that for the believer, maybe we need to put a faith investment into all these different areas in our life and get returns from all these different areas, and it builds a collective bank balance, if you will, for you to access. Why do you trust God only for the big ticket items? How about you trust God for the mundane? For the seemingly insignificant or unimportant? How about you trust God for these things? And see Him deliver and have that built of faith. Am I making sense? Oh, I slapped myself again. Sorry. <laughs> How do we cultivate faith such that in the day of trial we will not be wavered or shaken. That's title of my message. Finally get to that. <laughs> my message title this morning is Cultivating Faith. Cultivating Faith. Everybody say it to me. Cultivating Faith. Say it again louder. Cultivating Faith. How many of you are convinced that we need to cultivate faith in our lives? Come on, hands up. 60%. We'll get the other 40% by the end of this message. I, I want to read to you a, another troubling passage of scripture, okay? This is, this is a really troubling one. Okay, let's look at Matthew chapter 15. If your Bible, flip it. Or else, I have a lovely slides prepared for you. Matthew 15, verse 21, 28. It says this, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. There's a theme in the verses that I've chosen. So, yeah, <laughs> many demons. But he answered her not a word. Next slide. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. You get this. Jesus says this. Jesus, who is lovely and lovable and loves you. Says this, but he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Woo. Let's let that sink in for a bit. Okay, move on. And this is the lady, and she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. What? I've seen like, you know, churches split over like a less offensive comment, right? And then Jesus answered and said to this woman, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So just to recap, Jesus seems to make a reference that her daughter, or her son, is it? 
son. It's like a little dog. Da- daughter, yeah, sorry. Confused. Too many demon stories. And uh, like a little dog. And then she was like, yeah, you know, but, you know, uh, dog also good, what? They can eat crumb at the table. <laughs> so she's, she completely, like, pushes away that offense, you know, and still goes to the Lord. It's like, yeah, you know, that, I, I, that's, that's good, you know, we, we can make something happen from there. And then Jesus looks at her and says, great is your faith. Your daughter is made well in this very moment. Crazy, right? So offensive, so troubling. Why did Jesus make that statement? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> absolutely no idea. Absolutely no idea. But I know, I know this one thing, though. That faith and being a person of faith actually gives you the grit and the ability to push past offense, to push past mystery, to push past questions. I'm sure that lady had many questions. She's like, why dog? (laughs) Why are you saying? She had so many questions and and it's so offensive. It's full of mystery. But her faith gave her the internal resolve, if you will, to push through that veil to a miracle. There seems to be this thought circulating that you cannot have questions or doubt and have faith at the same time. I'd like to put it to you that that is a lie. It's not true. It says this, it says we live by faith and not by sight. And sight is what is certain. We live by faith and not by certainty. Sometimes your faith is only in function. You're only truly exercising it in the midst of the greatest doubts, questions, mysteries, and offense. Mary, who Jesus' mother, who was known for her great faith in the Lord, had questions for the angel, even in the midst of that. It's what faith looks like. It pushes through offense. It pushes through mystery. In 2 Corinthians, you know, um, Paul says this, it says, it's interesting verse. It, it talks about the reading of the Old Testament and it says, even to this day when Moses is read, this is New Covenant, a veil covers their hearts. Talking about you and me. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And this veil is a representation of offense, mystery, doubt, uncertainty. It says that when one turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. Many times we think it happens the other way around. When the veil is lifted, when everything makes sense, when I'm no longer offended, when there's no more mystery, that's when I turn to the Lord. But what I'm saying and suggesting to you this morning is that if you are able to exercise your faith in the midst of offense, in the midst of mystery, in the midst of questions, and not have that as a stumbling block, as a hindrance to you connecting with the Lord, Perhaps that very act of turning, choosing to not lose faith, if you will, in that moment, is what gives you your breakthrough. Let's 
says this, you know, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Faith comes first before understanding. Faith comes first before understanding. If you understand already, then you do not need faith. I think it's good. It's okay to have questions, but me not understanding should not be an obstacle to having absolute confidence and trust in God. Because it's altogether good. Even when my circumstances don't reflect (laughs) the goodness of God, I still choose to trust and have faith. He is good. You know, um, there's this story, you know, um, the, well, now he's the senior pastor of Bethel, uh, Eric Johnson, the, uh, Bill Johnson's son, um, you know, he uh, moves in crazy signs and wonders and miracles. You know, um, I think the count is, you know, through him, he's seen over 300, I think, or 400 deaf ears open. Amazing. Like, you know, when he prays for people who have struggled with uh, lifetime deafness or people who were born deaf, they get their, their hearing back instantly. But a little known fact about Eric is that he is 85% deaf in his left ear and 90% deaf in his right. Deaf in both ears. But yet God uses him to minister to the deaf. 300 over people healed from deafness. His dad, Bill Johnson, <laughs> moves in signs and wonders and miracles. But yet his, his son you know, doesn't, doesn't, uh, isn't healed. I have many questions. You know, how does that work? You know, what is God thinking? What is God saying? You know? And it's, it's, it's in moments like that you know, where you can possibly be offended or you know, be so stumbled by that mystery. And in moments like these, and I'm, sh- I'm sure all of you had moments like these, you know, in the face of like, these are all the logical facts. You know, but choosing to push past what is logical and push through that veil and find out what God's heart is for the matter. Faith and logic is, isn't the same thing. Bill says this. Bill says he, he says, God will on purpose offend the mind to reveal the heart. That faith we are called to have is one that stands in mystery, offense, questions. It's not a faith that you exercise every now and then you know, when you are facing trouble, but it's a faith that you are called to live by, carry constantly. It's not a momentary faith. It's not a brief faith. It's a constant faith. Is that making sense? And so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to close with three very simple points. Okay. Are, you, are you all good? Yes? And so if this thing, faith, confidence, trust in the Lord, you know, and, and if, if faith is a discipline, is something that we grow in, we mature in, we walk in, then, you know, if, you know, we can get faith from a gym, what is like the training program to see something like, like that happen? You know, if faith were a plant, if you will, you know, bonsai plant, uh, what are the atmospheric conditions? that will cause something like that to grow. Okay, I want to present to you three points to, on how you can cultivate faith for your own life. 
number one. And I've on purpose made all my points start with the same alphabet because we are church and we need congruency. <laughs> so, I know I haven't been making an effort in some, most of the time I'm just like, here are the points, take it. I'm not going to even make it rhyme, but today I, I, I made an effort okay, to put it all in the same alphabet so you can remember it easily. Welcome. Okay, first point. You need to exercise your faith. You need to exercise your faith. And you do so by taking risk. You take risk. You know, the, the man who's credited for this statement, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It's a man named John Wimber. And he's a reason why we have the Vineyard Church movement. He's a reason why we have modern worship today. He's also the reason why we have the modern-day healing movement, why we pray for the sick in churches today. He's the man credited for pioneering that movement. And here's the thing about Wimber, who is a science and wonders guy, most in incredible healings, pioneered this whole thing. Here's the thing about Wimber. Wimber prayed for a thousand people before he saw his first healing. A thousand people before he saw his first healing. Most of us give up at three. You know, one, two, three. Well, I gave the Lord the chance. I'm a cessationist now. Power doesn't move in the church. No, no. <laughs> he prayed for a thousand people before he saw his first miracle. That's insane. He is the, the epitome of that verse. Through faith and staying power, staying in that lane, you inherit the promises of God. It's risky. I'm sure he lost a lot of friends, lost a lot of credibility because he stuck through to that. A thousand people. But if you don't take risk, if you don't venture beyond what's comfortable, you don't venture beyond the ter territory that you have so grown comfortable in, you will never discover what's on the other side. Some of us have, you know, spiritually, you know, inherited these vast plots of land and were able to tell people, this is my land, mountain there, sea there, like this is all my land, right? But if you don't actually venture out into the land, you don't actually build, you don't actually explore and discover, you, it, it does you no good. Faith explores what revelation reveals. Faith is active. Faith explores what revelation reveals. So if you say you have a revelation God has provided, you say you have a revelation of God as healer, if you say you have a revelation of God as father, then your faith better match that. You better exercise it. I think that's good. <laughs> I have faith that you all think that is good as well. Because, <laughs> woo! <laughs> I'm making sense to you. I'm convinced, or I have a conviction, that the church ought to be the most innovative and creative environment in the world. Because we dare to take risks, and we have the courage to explore. Because we have faith. And that should translate into something. That should bleed into the way we do life, that should bleed into our endeavors. My conviction is, this community, we ought to be the most innovative, creative people on the planet with a vision for transformation. Jesus was the most transformative person that ever graced the face of the planet. 
And if you profess to be a Christ follower, then you need to have a vision for transformation as well. You need to have a vision beyond yourself. You need to have a vision for the betterment of the world around you. You need to exercise your faith. We seem to think that this whole faith thing is for the more gung-ho, garang Christians who go to Afghanistan. No, that faith you are called to walk in as well. You're called to exercise that. You're called to move in faith, to better the world around you. We're all familiar with the story of, uh, you know, the wicked and profitable steward, right? He took the one talent and he buried it in the ground and then the master rebuked him and said, you wicked and profitable servant, you know, you put the talent in the ground. And again, you know, if we look at the words used, and this, this will blow your mind, trust me. Use the words, you look at the words used when the master rebuked the servant at parable. It says this, you wicked and, and unprofitable servant, you did not create with what I gave you. You did not create. You did not do something with it. You did not create. You did not make something out of it. The faith that God gives you is not for you to just keep it there, let it stew, you know, take it out on a rainy day. You're supposed to create with it. Likewise, for every gift that God gives you, it's for the purpose of creation. And when you move in creativity, you reflect that nature of the Creator. Creativity is not just for the artsy, fartsy people. It's for you and me. We were meant to create. We were meant to do something with what we've been given. Turn it into something tangible. It is of good to the world around us. I think so. <laughs> then the verse, he who is faithful in little is also faithful in much, takes a different spin there, doesn't it? He who takes risk in the little, he who exercises faith in the little, will have faith for the much. He who is faithful in little, will be faithful in much. That making sense? Scary, right? Taking risks, exploring the unknown, going where no man has gone before, right? Scary thing. You know, but I think it's necessary for the believer. You know, that Psalm, Psalm 23, it says, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, you know, I know that you're with me. And Psalm is describing how he's encountered the presence of God even in the shadow, even in the dark. My suggestion to you is that there are some places of risk that you are called to go to. And in that place, it's the only place that you experience God in that, on, on that level, on that closeness. You are never experiencing you will never experience Him in that attribute, on that level, elsewhere. Unless you go. Unless you get into places where you're in over your head, where you absolutely need Him. Derek Prince says, says that the greatest sin to have ever befallen mankind is the sin of independence. Where we profess to be a people who do not need God. Christians today, we practice practical atheism. We look at situations and scenario. we're like, off the top of my head, I know how to solve this. As a church pastor, you know, I need to come to a place where I recognize that it is the Lord that adds to the church, not my programs, not my design, not my, my initiatives. It's the Lord who adds. 
what does that look like for you? Running out of time. Got a boogie. Uh, next E. <clears throat> we need to engage with faith. We need to engage with faith. And we do that when we feed from stories. When we feed from stories. Revelations 19, it says that um, testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What Jesus does, you know, the testimonies that we hear, it prophesies into your current situation that he is able to do the same thing for you. He is no respecter of persons. Hearing a testimony, it shows us who he's like, what he values, what he loves. And seeing him come through for another person should give you the faith that he will do the same for you as well. Testimony of Jesus. Spirit of prophecy. Amen? You know, when, when I first went to BSSM, um, uh, I'll cut the story short, you know, I, I went there thinking like I was the most faith-filled, sacrificial person on planet Earth. I was like, I gave up being my girlfriend every day. I gave this up, gave that up. And I was like, I went there. You know, I, I honestly, you know, I was so pompous and proud. I was like, I am the most sacrificial person on planet Earth. And I, I sat there in, in that room and uh, first day of school, I kid or not, I sit, I sit there and I was thinking, man, God is going to anoint me with the oil of <laughs> whatever and I'm going to move in so much signs and wonders because I'm so sacrificial. And uh, first day, you know, I sit there and the person on my left, I was like, oh, so how do you come to school? It's like, oh, me and my wife, we just got married. And uh, the day after we, get, we got married, we decided to move to Reading because we wanted the more of God. I was like, you came here for your honeymoon? He's like, no, we didn't have one. We just wanted, to, we just felt God call us here and we, we moved by faith and we decided to give up everything and we are here now. He's like, okay. You know, and so I, I didn't feel that sacrificial anymore. So I turned to my right and I was like, maybe I can find someone that I have like, you know, an uh, edge over, if you will. And I was like, more sacrificial than this clown, you know. And I turned to this guy and there's an there's a older guy and he was like, uh, oh, how did I come to school? He's like, oh, um, me and my wife, we uh, sold our car, we sold our house, we sold everything. Uh, we have three kids and uh, we decided to, to move uh, to America because we wanted more of God. And uh, we're really trusting God to come through. We believe He's going to come through. We only have money for a month. And so uh, in eight months' time, we will run out of money and we'll be out living our car, but we believe that God is good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I kid you not, like, the next 10 people I met, right, it's all like the same story, you know, and it just makes you feel really good about yourself, right? You know, it's like, oh, feels so good. But what it did for me, you know, meeting all these people was, it gave me a vision for my faith. Because I, I, I thought that this was the, the, the high point of what faith could look like for the believer. But when I met these other people, they, it just completely enlarged my tempex, if you will. Completely enlarged what I thought was possible. And some of you, you have surrounded yourself with people who you have a faith edge over. And perhaps what you need to do for this moment of your life is surround yourself with people who have bigger faith than you. Because when you surround yourself with people like that, it gives you a vision for growth. It gives you a vision for maturity. You know, I, I went there and, and I thought I could only part with this amount of money. But when I met these people who sold everything. You know, it, 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 I've, I've made considerable strikes. I never thought I would give, I'll be able to give away the money that I give away today. 
And I hope to grow to a place where I'm able to give away everything should the Lord call for it. That's my goal for maturity. That's my goal that I'm setting for my life. I want to be like these guys who are able to give up everything in a heartbeat. Complete obedience and surrender to the Lord. That's my faith. Feed from stories. Surround yourself with people with bigger faith than you. Amen? Last one. Running a bit late. Last E. Expect in faith. Expect in faith. We do that by getting a word. Get a word. Everybody say that. Get a word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. No word that comes from God is without power. It will return unto him void. Let's look at a story in First Samuel real quickly. First Samuel, and, you know, I've preached on this before, and it's David, you know, he, his camp was ravaged by the Amalekites, his lowest point in his life, everyone's going to turn against him. He was in a really, really, really bad place. And he says this, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I wish I had like another hour to expound it. That's one of my favorite lines in the Bible. And this is how he did, it, he did it. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Next slide. And he answered him, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. And if we read the rest of that chapter, we will know that David indeed recovered all. And in the next chapter, Saul, who was the main antagonist, is killed. And then David became king. We need a word from God for the season you're in. Most of the time, just like our faith, we only exercise this thing of needing a word from God in the midst of crisis pertaining to certain areas of life. Much like David. David was in crisis. He was in deep doo-doo. You know, he was in a bad place. And he was like, God, give me a word. And God gave him a word and he recovered all. But what if having consistent, constant faith looks like having a word for every aspect, area in your life before you even need it? What if growing in faith, being consistent in faith, looks like having God's perspective for every area of your life. And not asking for that perspective when something happens. When God speaks, when His word is given to you, it should change your perspective. See, He is God. He's the creator of all things. If He goes another day and says, rain shall be purple today, and it's going to be purple rain. Right? Ooh, nice. See what I did there? <laughs> Right? He, he's creator. And so when you hear a word from God for your situation, for that area of life, it becomes illegal for you to think any differently. Because to think a thought, to say a thing that is contrary to what God has said, is blasphemy. That went over well. To say a thought, to think a thought, to say a thing that is contrary to what God has said. It's blasphemy.
Make it a goal to have a word for every area of your life. Grow in faith. Grow in believing that word. Have it shift your perspective. Part of that faith journey is surrender. It's surrendering to God's word and God's perspective. It's choosing not to rely on your own human intellect. It's not choosing not to rely on your own logical assumptions, but choosing to surrender to His Lordship. The, the Bible says this. It says that the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where God is Lord, liberty is the evidence. Freedom is the evidence. And there are areas of your life that are bound up in whatever things, or they may be bound up. They are not loose, they're not free. It's not moving, it's not growing because God has not been made Lord in that area. And if you choose to surrender to Him, to His Word, to what He said, and you choose to have faith in that moment, you choose to believe the things that He has said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Can we stand? This making sense to you? Ooh, so. Honestly speaking, how many of you have benefited from whatever I just said this morning? Yeah? Yeah? How many of you are convinced that we need to grow in faith? Yeah? We don't just need to exercise it in Christ. We need to grow in faith constantly. That we need to exercise our faith. We need to engage with ones who have bigger faith than we do and we need to expect in faith. We need to trust in God's word. In just a moment, I want to pray for a very specific uh, group of people. And, um, and I believe that today is the day of breakthrough. You know, that some of you are going to experience a breakthrough. You know, the Bible has, has stories like that all through, you know, various chapters and various uh, uh, passages where God just came through and He came through in such a mighty way that it brought such deliverance and such breakthrough for that moment. And what it did was it, it caused great faith to arise in that individual and that faith would have a legacy, if you would. That faith carried a, a power of legacy that whenever another circumstance happened, they drew from their deliverance. When their sons and daughters would come into that circumstance, they would draw from that day of deliverance. And I believe that today, the Lord is going to release great faith in this room through deliverance, through Him coming through for you in various situations. And with every eye closed, very head bowed. If you're in need of a sovereign intervention this morning, if you're in desperate need for God to break through in your circumstance, you're saying, my faith has run out, it's run dry, I've run out of options, I have no idea what to do, can I tell you you're a prime candidate for God to come through? He gives you the peace that surpasses all understanding. It comes in a mighty way. With every eye closed, very head bowed, if you're in need, of a sovereign intervention 
this morning. It could be for your business. It could be for family, for relationships, for finances. You're trusting God to come through through a certain endeavor that you're, you're beginning to start. You're, starting, you're trusting for God to come through through a certain enterprise. Give you vision and faith for that. If that is you this morning, I want you to gently raise your hands. I would like to